Hey guys, I'm Lindsay Zarniak, and I wanted to say a huge thank you for listening to my first couple series of my podcast, Players. Um, I've loved doing it, and I wanted to pull out some of my favorite moments from each episode to share. I've loved these conversations. I've loved them because of how they've made me feel, how they've made me think, and each one of these musicians, athletes, and entertainers, honestly, they've all shared something that you've never heard before. Something for me that had me walking away saying, oh wow, I had no clue, right? And it's also things that I think are really relatable to anybody listening to this podcast. So I'm taking it back now to my conversation with country star Jimmy Allen. And setting the stage for you, we ended up doing this conversation um, in the green room at the Today Show because he had just hosted the show with uh, Kathy Lee Gifford, right? It was one of her last. Um, And he agreed to meet me down in his green room. And I remember going in that room and it was literally the space of a closet. And I was like, is Jimmy Allen really going to want to crumple up and fit in this spot? And, And he did. And he was totally cool with it. And he was so casual and it ended up being a great spot because it was really intimate even though we had like five people in the room Um, and he was phenomenal and one of the things that happened during the course of that conversation is we definitely came up with a new song for him to write and when it comes out eventually when he decides to do it it might be called We Are Beggars because he told this amazing story about something he learned from a pastor right there's a place in Nashville where um, a big homeless population goes to sleep it's where they you know find each other and And Jimmy was spending some time there trying to help some people, meeting people. And his pastor was making the point and saying, we're all beggars. They are no different. They are no better than you. Everybody is striving for something. And he was trying to tell Jimmy how, for Jimmy, him trying to chase the dream and make it as a songwriter and a singer that was no different from somebody on the street trying to make it in life. So Jimmy decided at that moment, he told me that he was always going to carry around $2 in his pocket so that he could give that $2 to somebody every single day. And I thought that that was profound, but I also was like, whoa, this guy is wise beyond his years. He seems extremely disciplined. It's because his parents you know, come from a military background, and I really believe, and so does he, that that's really where that kind of um, strong-willed discipline and work ethic has come from for him. But anyway, he's done so many things to make ends meet for him. He lived in his car. He held several different jobs, and part of the reason he did that, he said he changed jobs every six months because he was so adamant about never getting complacent which I think is such an interesting thing for a youngster to actually put their mind around and try to do. But he worked at a gym because he figured working at that gym was a good way to meet people and to be able to pick the brains of the artists that would come in to work out who he could actually you know, try to emulate. And so he did that. And he has come so far. He became the first black artist to have his first single hit number one. That happened back in November. That song is called Best Shot. And this is the story of how that song came to be. Um, so I was riding with two buddies of mine, JP and Josh, and I always listen to the radio. I flip the radio station. I listen to 30 seconds of each radio station, different genres, and try to find different melodies and stuff. And mm-hmm. and then the uh, the chorus, first line of chorus and melody just hit me, the part that, when you smile see sun sink down on the coast out of California. Didn't know where that was going to go, but again, I'm a visual person, and I could actually see the sun setting in California, and I could see the silhouette of a girl while I was singing this song. So I get to the right, and I say, hey, guys, I got this idea. And we had another co-writer there, and, and he was like, yeah, I'm not feeling it, but y'all can come back and and, and write it yourself. I don't think any of that happened. So it went from being, could have been four writers to three, which is better for royalty splits 
Anyway, but, uh, <laughs> is that a common thing too? Like, if someone's just not feeling it, you just kind of oh pass yeah, you just say, you, you just pass and say I'm out. Okay. But it's all good. So we came back wow. and I just had this idea and I said let's just keep it. And I was like, goes down in California and we're trying to find words to rhyme. And I'm a no rules person. I'm like do what makes the song better. So we were trying to find one words that rhymed with California. I said, well, why not? Yeah, it was like yeah. Because they're very natural. They're the co-writers. They've been in Nashville a long time. So they got the Nashville rules. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. screw all that. I said, Real, yeah, rhymes. I said, when I was before you. He said, they was like, can you do that? I said, it's our song. We can do whatever the heck we want to do. So then that's what we came up with that line. And then um, I, I remember I was on Twitter. I always like to get on Twitter and whatever, look for quotes and see what people posted. Um, then a girl had posted a picture that said, uh, of her body She said I'm not perfect But I'm happy with who I am That's what I was like Ooh I said what if it says I'm not saying That I'm perfect Oh girl You know I'm not Then JP yelled out But I love you With everything I got I give you my best shot And best shot was actually a joke We were like We can't sing that It was like Why can't we Next thing you know We got a chorus So it kind of just Flows I like to be open To all avenues Of, of, of inspiration you know, you, you, you can't really <laughs> like, like that is such a cool story. shut anything off, you know, because you can yeah. pull inspirations from everything and anything. You know, I remember when I was chasing a music dream and stuff like that. I would, I have a, so since I live in my car, I have a soft spot for like homeless people. So mm-hmm. naturally, they do this thing called People Love a Natural where they take time on Monday nights and bring food and clothes to people that are homeless under this bridge. And, and I was doing that, and uh, a pastor said to me, he said, Jimmy, there's no difference between you chasing a music dream. And the person on the street asking for a dollar. And I was like, hmm, well, how do you mean? He said, think about this. You want a publisher or a label to sign you, right? I said, yeah. He said, and when they sign you, they're giving you money, correct? He said, you're asking, you're hoping someone invests anywhere from $100,000 to a million dollars into your career. You're begging. You're no difference than the person on the street that we so easily step over. He said, the only difference is the person on the street is asking for a lot less. And he said, keep that mentality and that'll keep you humble. And I was like, Jesus, that's deep. <laughs> I was like, we're, everybody out here chasing a music dream or chasing any type of dream, we're begging. Because we want to do something. We're asking for people to give us money. We're saying an opportunity, but we don't want the opportunity because the opportunity is a job and the job pays. So we're all beggars. You know what I mean? If you think about it, we're hey, there's a song. We're we're all beggars. I'm gonna write that. We're no different than the person on yeah. the street. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, you know, always whoever's listening. That just gave me chills. Yeah, I, I have, would love for you to write that song. I have a challenge to whoever's listening. I always keep. I remember I was in my car, didn't eat for a day, two days actually, and a guy gave me a dollar. And that dollar, I went to McDonald's, got me chicken, ate half on Wednesday, half on Thursday. That dollar changed my life. So now, purposely, I keep $2 in my pocket. And by the end of every day, have to give it away. Because you never know how a dollar can change someone's life. And then if I don't have any cash, whenever I see someone on the street, or when I give them money, I just throw it at them. Give it to them. I shake their hand and I ask them their name. Because they already feel beneath you. Because one, they're physically beneath you. They're sitting down or they're in their car and you're high in your truck or whatever, looking down on them and they're asking you for money. And in that name, it's crazy how your name builds confidence. You know what I mean? That's why a lot of Greek mythology movies and and stuff like that, names are important. Because your name is where your pride comes from. Uh, Your memories and and things you reach are attached to your name. So that's why I ask people their name. And and this one guy, when we're doing the people of Nashville, he said, man, when, when you asked me my name, that made me feel like a human again. So even if I don't have money, I get their name. I, and, and when I say my prayers, it's easy to remember someone you have their name. It's easy to forget someone. 
if you throw a dollar and keep it moving. They'd probably rather you keep the dollar than just throw it at them like that, you know? So yeah. get the dollar, shake their hand, get the name, and people say, you worry about germs? I said, for what? I was like, people are killing me these days with this hand, that people shake people's hands and got a hand sanitized. I'm like, right. that's so weird. Hand sanitizer came out how long ago? A couple, four or five years has been a thing. And you have a kid, and it's yeah, like all that we goes grew out the window up anyway, yeah. In the dirt, playing in dirt, changing cars. People, the same people that go up and down about uh, hand sanitizers will go bowling, put their fingers in a bowling ball, eat a slice of pizza, <laughs> but yet want to change, shake their hand when they meet. Think about that. People are weird, man. So, like, no, I'd shake these homeless guys' hand, and I'm like, if you do want to do hand sanitizer, don't do it in front of them. Yeah. Go down the street, but I don't do it. My hands are dirty. So, you know, kind of a random take on washing your hands um, related to using the restroom. But hey, each his own, right? But Jimmy Allen's such a cool guy. He's actually touring right now with another country star who posted his way to the top. That would be Kane Brown. Literally got his start and then shot off through social media, which is pretty amazing. But so Kane agreed to do the podcast, and he's a huge sports fan, so I was really excited. But he was traveling, touring, and he was in Wallingford, Connecticut. And he agreed to meet me backstage before his show. And truthfully, he was the first artist that I've talked to for a podcast before his show. So I didn't know what to expect because obviously everybody's got their own routine, just like athletes. You know, you've, you've got the certain things you do, whether it's what you eat, the, the way you spend your time, who you talk to, et cetera. But so Kane's tour manager led us back in his um, green room before, about 30 minutes before Kane ever got back there. And one of the first things that caught my eye was he had this big cooler in the corner and it was very dim, but you could see the logo really well. It was the Georgia Bulldogs on the outside of this cooler. And they were so sweet, right? They had a, a great mix of beverages and snacks. He had something on the, the the table and I think it was like Twizzlers or Skittles. I think it was Skittles. Anyway, it was kind of random and I remember being like, well, how many of Skittles does he eat before the show? But um, anyway, it was a really cool room and the vibe was was awesome and Kane came in and he was extremely soft-spoken and I was kind of wondering like, okay, this is going to be interesting. But he really opened up when we started talking about sports and when he got to the point where he was sharing what he did literally the day before he hit it big thanks to social media. And so Kane, um, you know, Kane was a lot of fun to talk to. I was kind of blown away because I was like, whoa, this guy is literally in an hour about to go out there on stage. Um, in a sidebar here, after that conversation, when I went out and watched that show it's so crazy because of the nature and the way that he got his start. Those fans know every single word to every single song, and it's a totally different vibe. And that blew me away because I hadn't even thought about that or considered that. But he talked about it a little bit because these fans are so rabid for him because they feel like they were there from the birth of him becoming the star, which they really were. So anyway, um, Kane Brown was amazing. He definitely is the biggest sports fan that I've had on the podcast so far. He loves the NBA. Uh, he specifically loves Jimmy Butler. He also told a great story about Steph Curry's wedding present that um, that he sent to Kane, right? And he sent him a jersey. He didn't go to the wedding, but he sent him a jersey, which is pretty cool. Um, but anyway, the story about Kane's start in music is what blew me away the most. It's so different from anybody else that I've talked to. He did it all on his own, and it truly started because he posted a video of himself covering a song on Facebook. Yeah, we uh, social media just kind of, I woke up one day and my phone was just blowing up, and I didn't know what happened. Um, so right after, my first instinct was to just put more videos up. And it was like, and that was after which one that you uh, had I did, put up? I don't dance. 
and got mm-hmm. it had Lee like Bryce. yeah it had like sixty thousand shares which to me at the time i was only getting like 50 likes so it was like whoa um and then it died down for a little while and then i remember writing my own music and putting it up and it got to the millions of views uh and it just it just started kicking off and radio radio wasn't playing me because nobody in countries really broke over social media it's only been in pop so i didn't know what to think of me like if i was buying followers or whatever uh did and did you know i mean was that strategic at all like just the i mean obviously that's what you know you hope that there's some response to it but did you realize or think about that was what could happen no no not at all i was uh i was working at fedex and uh just you know just working my job just put music up for fun and it just happened overnight what were you doing at fedex uh i was like a day away from uh becoming a driver so my pay would have went, I was like making eleven ninety. I was like, I'm at a big boy job. And then I went up, I was going to be at like seventeen fifty an hour, which is a huge jump for me. And then uh, the day before it happened, my, uh, my manager said, you have to quit, move to Nashville. So I was like, dang, well, if this doesn't work out. And then uh, a couple years, or like a, one year, um, we got a record label. And then we put out a song, or I had Used to Love You Sober out, which was already gold, but radio wasn't really playing it because they still didn't mm-hmm. understand me and then we put another single out and it didn't work and then i put what ifs out and it finally went number one after like 46 weeks but we had all these sold out shows and we were just wondering like why aren't we getting played on radio and now that we have radio behind us it's just we've moved to arenas and uh social media and radio we found out it just really works darius rucker uh is the last person I sat down with for this podcast and he told me about how no one understands the amount of work that goes into it and the Mm -hmm. amount of time that he had to spend with radio once he decided that he was going to try to make the transition from pop to country. Yeah. How much work has it been for you? For me, it's been weird because the average country artist, they do like a a radio tour. So you Mm -hmm. get to go around to different radio stations meeting everybody so then everybody knows you. But for me, starting on social media, um, we were already having sold out shows without radio and so I didn't get to go around and meet everybody. So we just would stop in at radio stations um, or they would come out to the show, uh, whichever city we were in. So I'm not sure if I've met everybody at radio yet. But, uh, <laughs> but they pretty much I, know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so to go from zero to 60, so what was the moment, I didn't mean to interrupt you or cut you off before, oh, no, I think you were explaining it, but like, what was the moment where you, when you realized, okay, whoa, something, something's happening here? Uh, well, it was after I put up You Still Love You Sober. Like, I knew mm-hmm. something was happening with us with social media just because my numbers were crazy. Like, I'd go to all these other artists, like, even, even like, pop artists, like Ariana Grande and Justin mm-hmm. Bieber. And at the time, my Facebook was destroying everybody. Like, it was nobody's numbers that could compete with me. And uh, so, I, I, like, I knew. I was like, wow, this is crazy. And I would, like, post the dumbest thing just so people, like, didn't understand. Like, I would post, like, hi. And in like a minute, we'd have like 5,000 likes. And uh, it was just right then, I was like, we have something. I didn't know what it was. And then, but when we got into the radio game, they weren't playing me. So I was like, maybe I'm just going to be the social media, you know, artist. And uh, so now that they're on my side, it's just been a whirlwind. It's just kind of taken off like crazy. Yeah, those Kane Brown fans are hardcore, right? And they're awesome. Uh, So Kane Brown's career 
continues to skyrocket. He just released a new song called Like a Rodeo, and he's keeping his fans happy, right? Because he knows exactly what he needs to do because that is truly the fan base that got him started. So he keeps posting on social media about life and love and his thoughts on becoming a first-time father in a couple months. He's going to have a daughter, so God help him because I know mine was a lot different. Anyway, I don't think Kane is going to have a lot of time to watch television once that new baby arrives. But if he did, I would suggest that he binge watch an amazing series on ABC called A Million Little Things. And the next guest that I've got to share a story from is my friend and actress, Stephanie Shostak. So she is the lead character. Uh, She plays Delilah on A Million Little Things. And she's busy the next few months because they're shooting the next season. I cannot wait. Like, seriously, I ran through that series in probably one week. So I'm dying for the next one to come out. But Stephanie, so she lives in my town, right? And I didn't know who she is. I went to see a group um, that were on a panel. It was for entrepreneurs and it was in my town. And she happened to be in the audience. And one of my friends said, I feel like you two would really hit it off. And and uh, she introduced me to Stephanie. And she was the warmest person. I didn't watch her show before I met her, but she was so interesting. And she and her husband were so friendly and they were talking immediately about sports. So they were really funny talking about golf and the first time they ever played together and how Stephanie really you know, beat him pretty badly. But they were really interesting. And they had a lot in common in the fact that there's a big sports connection there, but also that Stephanie didn't get into acting until she was late in her 20s. And I think that's pretty amazing. And the way that she realized that that's what she wanted to do in the first place, I think isn't just amazing, but it's also inspiring, right? She was very real and funny and candid about how she discovered what she says is basically her calling. And she told me about how you've got to just do you. You've got to just do you, do you. And how the mental game of golf actually really helped her learn to cope with pressures and even challenges that she finds in the entertainment industry. So when she shared this story about how she got into acting, I almost fell off my chair. She was working in sales at Chanel at the time. We're doing a photo shoot for an in-house brochure and um, and I was like, yeah, okay, blah, blah. And so I did like to be to model for them for an in-house wow. brochure. And yeah. then the photographer there was like, so which agency are you with? <laughs> this one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, Stephanie Inc. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but that sort of planted oh, a wow. seed and I was like, wait, what? And so I thought <laughs> maybe I could model. I knew that's not what I wanted to do, but just maybe I could model, make the same amount of money that I was making in marketing and not much, and then figure out what I want to do. And so I left Chanel and started mark, uh, modeling at 26. Whoa! And saying I was 19 years old. And it, it oh sort of gosh. worked. And then that, and so then I think that's when it sort of. Uh, came into my mind, like doing editorial photo shoots, you know, where you're fashion stuff and you're sort of acting, acting, you're like a character. And so I was like, I wanted to take acting classes and the people at the modeling agency was like, no, 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 you have too much of an accent, you're too old. But eventually I got myself into a theater class and I was like, oh my God, this is it, this is it. Like for the first time in my life. I felt like I get so happy talking about it. <laughs> That's so cool. What did that feel like? Was It, it felt like uh, a huge sigh and you're like, oh my God, here I am. I'm connecting with me. With And I, don't, oh, I didn't know who that was. Don't make me cry. Don't make me <laughs> She was, yeah, because she's a great actress, but also a great human, she was literally making me cry um, in my office because that's where we had this conversation. And that was actually really cool because 
it it just felt kind of organic and it was it was fun and it was like this very zen spot. Um, but so fast forward a few years and Stephanie has a few really big movies under her belt and then she has a chance to audition for a role in a new ABC drama called A Million Little Things. So I live in Connecticut and which is not great to audition because everything <laughs> happens in the city, New York or mostly yeah. LA. But anyway, I, I got the script. It was pilot season and I read the script and I was like, this is so cool. I loved the fact that it was about a group of friends and that it just started so dramatically and I love the humor in it. It's you know, it's like yeah. a tragedy that's happening, and then there's uh, the character Gary, played by James Roday. The, his humor in this dark, in this time of darkness, I felt really real to me, and reminded me of my dad, who's like that, who has the worst Funny, jokes like, and the really? worst moments. And you're like, really? But you're like, thank, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love that. So anyway, I auditioned for it, and they liked. I, so my, I auditioned in my living room, my husband's my on a video, video. on oh, a video. I love it. <laughs> Awesome. And oh, but actually this one it wasn't my husband. It was my cousin who lives here who's not an actor at all. And but she was great and um they liked the tape and they asked me to come to LA to test. So should I explain what that means? Yes. Yes. So like when it's pilot season, basically it's like the the networks that are developing new shows, they they test typically three actors and in front of it's in a room and it's in front of producers, lots of people and then they decide. So So they're all watching it live. live. It's not Yeah, you walk okay. into a room and there's like 25 people and you're reading in front of them. So when my manager and agent called and they're like, they want you to leave tomorrow to test. And my parents were in town. And, and then can I look? So yes. when you get that phone call and your manager agent says that, what what's that conversation like? I'll tell you. Okay. So my in-laws and my this. parents are in ta- town for the kids' birthdays. And it's like that. And I'm like, God damn it. So because <laughs> my, I don't see my parents that much, you know, and it's they're in town and I'm thinking and I go, wait, where does the show? Because also I've tested for things and you the chances are you're not going to get it, even okay. though I don't really think that. But part of me knows that that's realistic. So I'm like, where does the show shoot again? Vancouver. And I'm like, no. Oh, I did not know that. And so I'm like, no, there's no way I'm going. I can't. That's not feasible. 20 episodes in Vancouver, living here in Connecticut, that would take, you know, eight months away Mm -hmm. from my family. So I say, no, I'm not doing it. And my manager and my agents are like giving me like so much crap. And I said, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm not doing it. I can't. What did your husband say? Yeah, he was like, no. No, that's ridiculous. You're going to LA tomorrow. You're going to miss the whole weekend. You're not going to get the thing anyway. <laughs> so, so we say no, and then goodbye, and then oh, no, no, yes, that's so much but drama. Then they call back, so they test two actresses, and then they call back four days later on a Sunday. And I'm not asking you. I mean, I do want to know this, but were are do you know who they were? Were they actresses that people have seen before? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and then they call back <laughs> on the Sunday. And on a Sunday, I'm at TJ Maxx with my dad and my mom. <laughs> and my manager calls and she goes, well, I guess there's something to be said about the power of no. And I was like, what? No. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, they want to know what it will take. And they won't even test you. They want you. And uh, No yeah. way. 
And so then we were like, okay. So my husband and I were like, okay, what what would it take? And then this thing, uh, Aaron Kaplan, one of the producers, called me directly, and he was like, I'm a family man. I understand. We will plan it so that you can go home. And then he was like, we love you. And would you like, really? <laughs> But so then I hung up, and I wasn't, you know, my husband and I were both Uh, huddled you say that yeah. huddled around yeah, the yeah. phone together yep. listening to every word he was saying and then I hang up the phone and I look at him and I'm like it's Vancouver and he said do it do it it's gonna be an adventure do it And she did it. And that is so awesome because, uh, first of all, her husband's a great guy and he was so supportive. And I'm so glad that she took him up, you know, on doing it with that great advice because this show is huge. It's been a huge hit. Her character is the core of it. And, um, and I just think it's so much fun. I've never had a friend who's been on a show like that and to be able to watch her do what she does. It's just kind of cool and really, really awesome to see her succeed. So the show, A Million Little Things, by the way, it touches on so many really important topics. And that's one of the reasons that I love it so much because it finds this incredible way to storytell around these tough things to talk about, right? Like people dealing with cancer, um, the issue of mental health, loss, courage. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, for Stephanie, I think she's just proven that sometimes it is really just a leap of faith, right? And a leap of faith is also what this next guest knows so much about, country artist Ryan Hurd. So Ryan is a songwriter at the core through and through. And Ryan is married to country superstar Marin Morris. And when I say superstar, I mean, in the past three years, this girl has gone from someone who was watching, you know, an award show across from the theater at a dive bar to someone who is now like the hottest commodity to have perform at an award show because she's blown up that much. But her husband, Ryan Hurd, is a prolific songwriter. And when I say prolific, I mean, like he has written songs that have become mega hits for mega artists along the way. But so he's always had the drive. He's always had the talent. And he finally decided that he's going to give it his all and really try to make it himself as an artist. And that conversation was fascinating to me and really eye-opening because he talked about how once he made that decision, he realized how challenging the whole thing really is. And he talked about how watching his wife, Marin star take off, how it really gave him a front row seat to... The work ethic and, you know, the the backbone that you need to have to be able to handle it all. And he talked about a lot of, you know, the, the different extremes, how one thing he learned is you got to have a spray tan, you know, and and he, you know, made no bones about the fact that he now does that frequently, right? And so he talked about that, but he also talked about how you've got to just kind of keep following what's right in front of you and not freak yourself out, but how overcoming the doubt that you have in yourself along the way is really half the game. He told an amazing story about overcoming that doubt and taking the time to nurture the things that matter and how really impactful that is. And it's a story summing up what started with disappointment and how that became something that was one of his greatest lessons. I think in the last year and a half, I've, I've kind of realized like, like, just the like the way in which i interact with people is 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 really important and the way that like you lead i know it's just it's just ryan hurd it's not kenny chesney and I, there's not 200 people on the road with me there's eight plus three so there's like nine plus three now i guess wow we have a full bus but it's still really important to like make sure that you're getting the most out of every single person every single day and and that includes your manager and it includes uh 
I don't know. I think it's just a people thing. It's not a business thing and it's not a sports thing. It's like, I think the more you, when you grow up a little bit and you realize like, okay, I could, I can express the way that I actually feel right now, or I can just like take a deep <laughs> breath and then like figure out the actual right move. And, uh, yeah, that's something that in the last year and a half I've had to like really take stock of. Because sometimes it's hard to just shut up. No, not, I, right? I mean, I'm speaking from my personal yeah, experience. I'm 32 years old. I'm not 22. And so like I've gone through a lot of different things in the last seven years in music that I've like, I mean, I've written for other artists and I've gotten my own record deal and I've like had my own artist project that I've had to try to get off the ground and I feel like I finally have. But, you know, there are some things that you can be completely justified in feeling that will never serve you going forward if you express them. So like it's sometimes it's like, you know, you just suck it up. Who taught you that? Was it the, the uh, women? Me around? really being <laughs> terrible at this for a while. <laughs> like Really? I mean, was there like a come to Jesus moment with it or No. I mean, like what we do is very emotionally taxing. I mean, you get it, you travel a lot, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to be away from your family and it's hard to like when you feel like you've hit a wall and you've been working really hard and it just doesn't work out, like that's hard to deal with. And so like, I think everybody who does music for a living has felt that where they've like worked and worked and worked and that's just the result never came. And I think at some point you either say like, okay, we're going to, we're going to figure out the next move or you can get angry about it and you can tell everybody how much they suck and, that'll make that just doesn't it doesn't work out in the in the long run i think that like one thing i've done a really good job of is like i'm kind of a survivor like i'm i'm really good at like sticking around long enough to stay in the game to where like eventually it becomes successful and like i've had a lot of success as a songwriter outside of my artist project but as an artist i've been had a record deal for two years now and it never it very rarely pops off like a rock uh, like a rocket ship right usually you have to build something and i always just keep that in mind it's like all right you're we're building we're building like we had a tough weekend last weekend we didn't sell very many tickets this is my first time ever touring as a headline artist in these rock clubs and we're out in boston and upstate new york we're a long way from home and there's a lot of a lot of money on the line and you're like man we're a long way from home to only sell x amount of whatever and but then you think about it, it's like, I could throw a fit and I could be real mad, but at the end of the day, it's my name at the top of it. It's nobody else's fault. Like we just had a weird weekend and we gotta go home and we'll make it up in the summer when we do this gig and this gig and this gig. So I think part of all that's just having the long view. The same thing with what you do. It's you like, man, you might have a bad show or you might whatever, but take the long view sometimes. Well, or it's um, breadcrumbs. Yes. I just heard about that from someone who might have been my therapist <laughs> if we're being honest um, because it's exactly that same thing right it's like believing in something that you really are passionate about and you feel like this is what makes me happy and this is what I know I want to do but to your point about selling the tickets it's like if you're not seeing that instant response yeah. what do you do right well, I'll say this this is I shouldn't say numbers on your podcast but i have basically sold out every room i've i've played in this year and we went to boston and we didn't sell out in boston and that's a huge market for me and i was really confused it was easter weekend and it was kind of weird and I'm like okay celtics playoff game but you're always competing with something so it's not really an excuse it just was a weird it was just kind of strange to me well then 
The next night we went to upstate New York mm. and we, we sold 150 tickets, which is not a lot of tickets. Like that's not a bunch mm. of tickets, but it was one of the most gratifying shows that I've played on this entire tour because I literally, I'm not kidding. After the show, I talked to every single person that was in the room and that is almost more valuable than having a full room because like those people are going to feel really invested in what I'm doing and they're going to come back and they're going to bring two or three people and mm -hmm. they're going to buy every single person bought a poster or a t-shirt. Like, so I got back and my business manager was like, you did really good on merch this weekend. And I was like, <laughs> did I really like there's no one there, but it was cool. And, and I think you get in this mindset, especially when you do entertainment and you probably have, feel the same way where it's like you're sometimes you catch yourself thinking about the people that aren't there instead mm -hmm. of the people that are there. And that's just a human thing. Like, I don't know, like this is a business, but at the same time, like what a fun business to be in. And even if it's just 150 people tonight, obviously you wish it was more, you always wish it was more, but, um, that was just really cool to have that connection with like that many people, like every single person got to talk to me and that was awesome. So Ryan and I had a lot of fun talking about just how we both feel very appreciative, right, of being able to do what we do. And we were having our conversation in in an office, actually, of one of the, the agents that reps Ryan. And it was cool to see him in that kind of atmosphere, right, you know, now as the artist, now that it has actually started to work for Ryan and he's been putting out songs that have become big hits on country radio. Uh, but we talked about how what that's like, being able to talk sports, talk sports and music, and how... It's really different than you might expect. It's not so glamorous, right? And not always, at least. Um, speaking of glamorous, country star Chris Lane. So he recently announced his engagement to the gorgeous Lauren Bushnell of Bachelorette fame. And so this was one of my favorite episodes because this was my first duo, right, that I got to do. So it was country star Chris Lane, but also with his favorite NFL player. And at the time, I didn't realize that this was actually like literally his favorite NFL player. But it's Panthers linebacker Thomas Davis, right, who several time pro bowler has since left the Panthers to go to the San Diego Chargers. But Thomas Davis um, posted on Instagram a, a video of him singing a Chris Lane song. And that's how I first kind of got the idea for this. He was singing the song. And I was like, ooh, this is interesting. He was on vacation with his family and he actually had kind of a decent voice. And so I thought, let me look into this. Well, so turns out Chris Lane obviously is a huge Carolina Panthers fan. And I thought, okay, let me see if I can get the both of them together. And so to be honest, a little behind the scenes here, um, Chris Lane was on board first. He was really interested just in talking sports. And I called Thomas Davis and Thomas Davis, the second he hears, you know, what it is, I'm like, hey, I'll get you to Nashville. And he's like, to meet with who? And I say, Chris Lane. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, all right, done. So let me just explain this. Like NFL players, especially, you know, guys that have been like in the Pro Bowl and they're used to, you know, having things a certain way. It's not really easy to, you know, logistically pull off the, uh, the travel and all that stuff for them. But Thomas Davis was awesome. Like he literally just got himself from point A to point B. He was like 30 minutes early. And this interview turned out to be one of the coolest because Chris Lane fanboyed the whole time. And it was so much fun because I had no idea this story totally came out in the midst of this conversation. Chris Lane had a picture in his tour bus of Thomas Davis. And before his whole team, you know, his musical team would go on stage each night for their performance, they would all have to walk out of the bus and high five that picture of Thomas Davis. I mean, how does that happen? I had no idea. But anyway, they were sitting there telling stories and I knew this was going to happen. They became so interested in each other's take on stuff that it just became 
became this awesomely organic conversation. And I had the best time hearing from both of them. And the thing that Chris wanted to know from Thomas Davis was what it feels like to walk out on the field getting ready to play in the Super Bowl. Davis's point was Chris Lane, from his perspective, gets to do it on stage every single night, right? So we were talking about songs, and Thomas Davis talked about how his favorite Chris Lane song is Take Back Home Girl. That song really, though, like, like it resonates. Like, being from a small country town, like, you... Like, you can... It all, like, listening to it, it almost just takes you to that place. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you go to college, and you meet a girl, and now you, you know, you're excited. You're taking her back home, you know. Football is huge in the South, so you take her back home. Everybody's waiting to meet her. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just crazy. Like, I, I love that song. See, that's what you want songs to do. Yes. What he just described, that is absolutely what you want a song to do. That's when you know you have a good one. If if it takes you somewhere and makes you think what he just described, uh, for for an example, I mean, that's what you want your music to do at the end of the day. Did so that makes me happy. Oh, it works. It should. Did you know that that did you know that you had a hit on your hands when you were making that song? I mean, you never know at the end of the day, like when you're releasing a song, what people are actually going to love and what they're not going to love. Um, but you got to record stuff and put stuff out that you believe in and in hopes that other people will love it as well. And uh, that was the case. I mean, that was my uh, first platinum song, which has been the biggest song in my career thus far. And uh, the one I have right now, I don't know about you, is uh, quickly growing. And, and I, I never saw this song really even coming at this point. But it uh, is definitely morphing and growing into even being even bigger than take back home girl was and it, it kind of just uh, organically happened and, and the fans really chose this as my next single i had no clue exactly what i was going to put out but from the moment i released that song to showing up to sing um some of those new songs uh at a show people were screaming the words every night i play that song and i was just like wow i've never had a song from the beginning that people showed up and they would scream the words to and it organically happened like that and we were like well this is i mean they really? chose this at the end of the day this is the one we got to go with and it's uh i mean every night it blows me away it's, it's been insane what's that like when you're on stage and you realize that everyone's just singing back to you what does that feel like probably what it feels like to play in the super bowl <laughs> <laughs> gotta be a great feeling I, I, it's crazy though like when i'm watching the videos that you're posting and you just let the crowd sing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it has to be an amazing feeling. For an artist, one, one million percent, that's the, that's the coolest moment ever. It really does not get better than that. The only way it gets better is you're playing in a stadium and the whole stadium's doing it now rather than yeah. a whole club of people. Yeah. And it's because you're because it's like you're you're putting your your stuff your creation yeah, out there. Definitely. I thought it was cool that you had said that now that song kind of takes on a different meaning for you. You're moving and all that, and you. I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. Yeah, love. you know what? Um, I haven't been in a relationship for. I think I was legit in high school. The last relationship I had and. Over college, you know, I mean, yes, I've been on plenty of dates throughout all those years, but nothing ever stuck. And I always thought to myself, you know what? I think I'm meant to actually be single. It's my personality. I'm literally crazy. Like, I'm a germaphobe. I'm a clean freak. 
I couldn't <laughs> find a girl. Like I would write them off immediately, and not not on purpose, but I would write them off immediately if they weren't exactly what I want. Like I, I just know, like I just know exactly what I want, and I had never met that, and I never thought that I ever would meet someone like that until I met Lauren, who is perfect in literally every way of of what I imagined that I would want, and it's mm. and it's weird how that happened because. I don't think either one of us thought that we were going to date each other, but uh, organically just happened. We went on a Bahamas trip together with some friends, and uh, we kind of hit it off. I mean, I, I don't think in that moment I knew it was going to be to the level that it is right now, but uh, the more time we spent together, uh, it just kept getting better and better. Then I took her home for Christmas. She met my family. Then I flew to Portland uh, for New Year's to – meet her family and wow. i love her family there's they're such great people and it made me love her even more and then the more time we've been able to spend together now i think we just realize like i mean at this point i know i'm gonna marry her so now she's <laughs> so now she's decided to this move to so nashville exciting. which is a huge step because she's i haven't had to pick my life up and move it yeah she's picking her life up and moving it here and i'm super thankful for that um, she's able to do that because I absolutely have to be in Nashville to do uh, my job. So she's going to move here. I think it's going to be a great step in our relationship and a, and a step towards uh, marriage, one million percent. And I can't wait. Do you have uh, some good advice? Um, I'm just excited. Yeah. I'm just excited. <laughs> Give me some good advice. Listen, I'm excited that he's not posting the stick figures on Instagram anymore. <laughs> I'm actually glad that he actually has somebody yes. that he can love. Yeah. So I'm excited for it's you. It's no bro. longer stick figures anymore. <laughs> That's really awesome. The coolest thing is the way that you talk about her. That is really awesome. Yeah, that is. Yeah, you know? she's great. She's great. You know what? The, the best part about her is she has the funniest personality of anybody I've ever been around. Like, she's just a funny person. She, I don't even think she's trying to be. It just comes off that way. I think, I think the advice that I have for you is just don't ever lose sight of what made you fall in love with her. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever lose sight of it. What I love most about Thomas Davis sharing that kind of advice was that it was so heartfelt. And when we were when we were in that room, you could you could first of all, you could feel the love between the two guys, but also it was just like they were both genuinely sharing things that they had learned and they felt like they really wanted to share it because they were helping one another. So that was awesome. Um, as I said, Thomas Davis now with the Los Angeles Chargers. Can't wait to see what he can do, although I do feel kind of bad for Chris Lane, but that's all good. Um, on the theme of not losing sight, right? So Mark Roberge, the front man for OAR, he was a guest that we had here in New York, and he lives in New York, so he literally um, met me here at the studio to tape this podcast, and he showed up with a little bag that he got from the, you know, what was it, the little um, drugstore down the street, and, you know, he's just so normal, which OAR is not, because they've been, like, prolific in the rock space, seriously, for 20 years. Um, that was, honestly, if I'm talking about one thing from that conversation, it's the fact that... I wanted to know how OAR was was formed, but I didn't realize that it was from a talent show. It was from an eighth grade talent show. And I remember trying to be in my eighth grade talent show, and I don't even think that ever happened. But for him, the band was formed for that, and they just never stopped. And it's the craziest story. And the whole thing kind of sounds like it was just really good luck. But I think at the end of it, you realize this is really a well-planned 
situation that has just kind of evolved. And it just, it gave me so many different perspectives from this conversation. Anyway, um, so what he talked about and what he explained so well was how not losing the perspective of loving what you do has helped their rock band OAR span two decades of success, truly. Um, his example of how to run a band turns out, by my estimation, just the same examples for how to live your life. Like, he should probably go write that book. Um, I was blown away, like I said, that they got together at the eighth grade talent show. Um, the stories they told about opening for Dave Matthews were just genius. And anyway, this is the story about how the whole thing got started, in his words. Well, right? we actually formed as a group in at the eighth grade talent show. So, oh my god! Yeah, so that's it's, fantastic. Yeah, this is in um, Maryland. In Maryland, yeah. eighth grade, we're out oh there. Oh my god! I remember, you know, quote unquote, our auditioning for it. You had to play your song. I was in the hallway. I can still remember being there with Richard and Chris, and we we played a Pearl Jam song, and we did the show, and the fans. What song was it? Uh, Pearl Jam. Porch. Okay. I was like a real Bob, I am, Bob, I'm a, my producer is like, yeah I'm a oh, real yeah. Pearl Jam fan I love them and and uh, so we kind of and this was Wooten High School this was actually Frost or, sorry. Junior High right Fro oh yeah okay so we're in there we do the talent show we're hooked ninth grade comes my brother asks or the response the response was, was like, great people went crazy kids are screaming parents are clapping I didn't know what <laughs> this was amazing to me. Uh, and we go to the ninth grade, we play in the cafeteria at school. Then we play for a friend's talent show thing. You know, just these local things, birthday parties. And it starts to actually bubble. We just always felt that you have to change, you have to adjust. And that just has kept us moving along from the eighth grade talent show to being in high school to applying to the only... We only applied to Texas and Ohio State. <laughs> Wait, you mean all of you? So wait, so, all of us. Wait, so this was like, was it a deal? Like you had to all go to the same place? The biggest school with the most bars, just to just to play shows. So when did you start having that conversation? Like, okay, guys, junior year of high school, and you were like, hey, hey, mom and dads, we're this is what we're doing. Like, so there was no option. If not all of you got in, then you weren't going to go. Two times that happened. One was, Mom, what about Ohio State University? It's got the most bars in this area, right? Texas is the biggest college. This one was the most people in a condensed area. Let's go there. Mom said, fine. You know, uh, <laughs> she was pretty supportive of my schooling. Why, why did you say that opening for Dave was, what was the word you used? A little... Um... Anxious. Yes. Why? The first time we opened for them, it might not have been the first time, but the first long weekend was The Gorge, um, which we've done twice with them. But the first time was interesting because David's really nice. He always says, comes up and says, thank you, you know, for doing this and everything. You do have a nice chat. But when we walked out on stage, an entire row of his fans turned around and faced the other way. No. So I'm what? like, okay. All right, Why? Well, out of uh, protest. He's his fans are really, um, or the band's fans are very protective of their band, and I guess they didn't want to see openers or us, <laughs> so they just <laughs> the stood there the whole time been... in the in a row. And uh, oh no, and my whole thing with that was I said, you know, listen, we got forty minutes. I would say it on the mic. We got forty minutes here. We're not leaving for 40 minutes, so either you can look that way or you can look this way, but we're going to do our 40 minutes. And by the end of it, they turned around. 
they won them over. Of course they did, right? Of course they did. Their music is so great. But um, I thought that that story was really cool and insightful. And I couldn't believe that people would turn around like that at a concert. But it just goes to show that everybody, even the ones you don't expect, deal with that kind of adversity, right? So another artist that I had is one of my guests, uh, Chase Rice, country star Chase Rice, who is an awesome down-home guy. He has the reputation of you know, being a guy that just sits around in the frat house playing for girls in his boxers. Um, just kidding, but he did tell that story, which was highly entertaining. Chase, you know, shared, though, a similar story about being intimidated up on stage. And he talked about that that happens for him when he's playing acoustic performances, right? Because Chase said you can't hide behind anything, you know? So it's so much more stripped down. And I remember when he was sharing that, I was kind of like, ooh, that takes guts for you to share that, right? Um and his acoustic performances, I think, are great. But it, it's just interesting that everybody deals with that kind of nerves and, and, you know, I guess doubt. But Chase hit really fast in the country music world. He came on the scene and his single skyrocketed. Uh, but then his record label underwent a lot of changes, right? And it didn't work well for him. And he shared that story about how he just, for whatever reason, did not mesh with a new group. And like a new coaching staff coming in, he had to figure out what to do and when to pivot, and that meant him walking away. So he walked me through the next step for him and why that has made this time in his career the sweetest for him by far. And at this point, are you like, like how bad did you want it? Like, how bad did you want music to work for you at that point? Well, it was still, keep in mind, it was still pretty easy because, like I said, we just followed Cruise, Ready Set Roll, going on it tonight. This wasn't that long after that. Mm -hmm. So I was in my mind, I was like, this is still easy. We'll just go do it on our own and we'll crush it again. It, and now, through my perspective, through all everything that's happened, like the last two weeks, I've partied harder than I've ever partied in my life because of, out, of, out of genuine joy and celebrating, <laughs> oh my God, we have a number one song. That wouldn't happen though, three years ago. I would have just been like, oh, cool, we got a number one song. Let's go to the next one. Forget that. Like, I'm celebrating. This is awesome. Well, so what Plus, was Plus, I'm it? a way better singer and songwriter now. Now. Than I ever was then, so. Did you, why? How? Just practice? Reps? I just know what I want to do more. I'm a better uh -huh. guitar player. I know I'm a better writer. I can go into my brain somehow a deeper way and find different stuff to say. Well, so wait. So what was it that, the was there like a low point with that that made this most recent Well, so I met with them and I liked them right away, so I ended up signing with Broken Bow, same thing where it's, it's a, I own my music, which is all I really ever wanted. Um, uh, and I didn't want, and, and I, I took my, my same record that Sony turned down and I said, uh, and keep in mind, I'm not, not talking trash about Sony. There was one article that got out that seemed like that. And I was just like, to be honest with you guys, I like the people over there. Shane Allen texted me today. Congratulations. He's still over there. Um, but I took that exact record that they said no to basically and i took it to zach and everybody at, at broken mm -hmm. bow and i said this is the record like if you don't like it cool i'm not signing with you guys i'm not gonna do anything you want me to do i'm not gonna write more music this is the album it's gonna it was lambs and lions that we put out mm -hmm. and they said we hell yeah we're in we love it let's go and i was just like isn't that don't you think there's something okay. to that because it's you know in my industry also I've realized that it's sort of like when you're able to get to a point where you are forced to say, here's what I want to do, or here's who it is that I really am, right? Like that's when stuff might yeah. start to get good because you've got to, you're, you're kind of like, I guess it's kind of like owning your truth, right? Yeah. Or whatever that means or whatever you think, you know? And to me, that was the very beginning of my career. Like the stuff that happened before was cool, but 
this to me right now is the very beginning of my career, which is crazy, but I, that's how I feel. Okay. I feel like I'm better, way better now than I've ever been. And I don't. I had no clue what the hell I was doing when I did Ready Set Roll and Gonna Want It Tonight. No, I don't know how I had two top fives. I don't know how I wrote a number one. Like I had no idea what I was doing. So the reason that Chase Rice was at Nationals Park is because he was performing as the entertainment for Nationals first baseman Ryan Zimmerman's charity event that night to raise money for MS Research. So the guys had had met one another the night before actually at dinner, but they were mutual fans, I would say. Um, but Ryan knocked on the door and came in the suite at Nationals Park where we were doing the interview probably about 15 minutes in. And so here's when he joined us for that chat. I was thinking about this on the way in. What would you, Ryan, consider like your biggest, the moment that it means the most to you so far now in your career? Uh, I always say 2012 I thought was the, was the coolest year. Um, nobody really thought we were going to be good until the following year. We had that special run where we won the division. Uh, obviously, first time in the playoffs since the team got back here. And that group of guys was such a fun special group of guys it's something I'll, that year is something I'll always remember um, so as far as like it, it's hard to think about all that stuff people are starting to ask me those questions because I'm because they think I'm getting towards the end uh, <laughs> are you no I got I think I got a good good couple more years but I mean this is year 14 I mean <laughs> why yeah. are you laughing because I mean I just think about how yeah. bad my body hurts yeah. and granted it's a different sport but god my I just played won't. college and my body. But hurts. you look so young. You really Thank look you. so young. Thank well, you. it's true. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, one of my good buddies that does investment banking now. He lives in Charlotte, and we were texting the other day, and he's like, "I was thinking the other day. He's like, I had a couple beers and I was watching the game, and I'm like, this guy's playing professional sport like at age 34. He's like, he, he's texting me. He's like, I don't know how you do it. I feel I, I play golf twice a week, and I wake <laughs> up and my right hip is banged up, but you learn how to get through it just like you know they travel all the time and you know you that's what you do you know you either you either learn how to adapt and, and make it through or someone replaces you well, like so, well, what is it what do you do what do you have to do for that well it's it's definitely you take care of yourself a little bit better now you know from age 20 to 27 ish you could do whatever you wanted to you could eat whatever you want you could go out whenever you wanted to you could have some drinks whenever you wanted to you can you know you didn't mm -hmm. have to pay attention to any of that stuff the last three or four years, I've really started starting paying attention to that a little bit more, just because it's the only way I can I can survive. And, and if you want to keep playing, if you want to do stuff, uh, you got to adapt and you got to you got to survive. Yeah, it's like Kobe. He had like salmon every day, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he didn't drink. He was... That sounds so good because I'm so hungry. I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he, right. Or, or he like hung around for what 20, 19 seasons. Tom I mean, the Brady, easiest, right? The yeah. easiest part is the game. The game, the three hours, three and a half hours of the yeah, game is playing. the easiest part by far. I mean, the hardest part for me is uh, during the season, it's not that bad because you're playing every day, so you know. But the off season for me, you know, having a five year old and a three year old and wanting to spend time with them, we're gone so much during the season. Then those four months in the off season, everyone's like, oh, do you, you know, do you, I, I, and I see my family a ton in the off season, but you're still doing five days a week. You know, three three or so hours of work to keep up with the 24 year old guy that's trying to take your job, and if you don't do that, you're you're out. So I think once I lose the drive to do that stuff, yeah, then it's time to to shut it down because then then 
That's you what know. Jeter always said, right? Or that's then like you're the measuring field, stick. Yeah. Then your on-field performance is going to suffer. And once I'm done with that, then I don't know. If you're not Just gonna, to clarify, you don't feel that now, or do you? No, I feel, you I feel great now, okay. yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I got a few more years. When Ryan Zimmerman said that, I thought, yes, that is exactly what Washington Nationals fans want to hear. I hope you liked that portion of the conversation I had with Ryan Zimmerman and Chase Rice. That was such a cool opportunity to sit with both of them on a night when I know both of them were very, very busy, but um, in a pretty cool environment there at Nationals Park as well. So if you liked that piece of the conversation, I hope you'll go back and listen to the full thing because there was a lot revealing in there. And that has been the key for me with these episodes. There's been so much that these artists and athletes and entertainers have shared and I have, as I said before, have come away with these thoughts like, wow, I really had no clue or I hadn't thought about that. And at the end of the day, it is all relatable. So if you like these portions of episodes, go back and listen to the full things. And if you want to hear some episodes that have run previously, go back and listen. I've got Darius Rucker, Sarah Evans, Lee Bryce, um, who is coming out with a new album. So I hope you'll check it out. Players with Lindsay Zarniak, anywhere you get your podcast. Also, hit me up socially because I would really love to know what you think, what you want to hear more of, who you'd like to hear from, and just feedback from you in general. Um, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. And at Instagram, it's Lindsay CZ. Everywhere else, Lindsay Zarniak. So hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I will talk to you soon.